Welcome to the HR Uprising podcast. This podcast series explores HR hot topics and challenges through conversations with relevant experts and real-life HR learning and OD professionals. The HR Uprising is about learning through collaboration and evidence-based action. We want colleagues to have the confidence and skills to rise up through their organizations by delivering real, lasting business value. Now, introducing your host, chartered psychologist, experienced change agent, entrepreneur, speaker, and coach, Lucinda Carney. Hello and welcome to the HR Uprising podcast. The HR Uprising is aimed at forward-thinking HR, learning, and OD professionals who want to elevate the way HR is perceived in their organisations and deliver real, lasting value. This podcast and our aligned community, hashtag HR Uprising, is for people in our profession who want to make a difference. We all want to share that knowledge and expertise with others and by doing so, rise up in our careers. We know that HR can be tough and demanding at times, and that means we don't always have time. Well, I certainly don't have time to prioritise our own development. So podcasts can be a really flexible and digestible way of freshening up our thinking. And this is something that I discovered myself personally very recently. You can you know, pop on a podcast when you're walking the dog or doing your exercise, and it's a great way of freshening up our thinking and practice. And so with this in mind, uh, this is one of our earlier episodes. So for those of you just tuning in, I'll introduce myself in a moment and I'll also give you a feel of what the show's going to be about. So the first few episodes, probably the first six or so, are going to be about specialist HR topics, the sort of things that uh, we get consulted on regularly. We'll be talking about best practice. I will share my experience, which you're welcome to, but I'm not saying that I know everything. And we will be then moving through to our conversations with pieces where we're going to get some really good, we've got some great, uh, great people lined up to talk to where we'll hear from other HR professionals or advisors to the HR field about the sort of things that they consider to be uh, of use to us that will help us raise our game. So that's what the HR Uprising is about. Just to introduce myself in case you didn't come tune in for episode one, my name is Lucinda Carney. So I'm actually a chartered psychologist with 15 years corporate experience. So within my corporate life, I was a senior HR professional. Actually, I was in learning and development. And then since then, since 2009, I've spent 10 years as a founder and CEO and dog's body, it sometimes feels like, of Actors Software. I've been working with that business for 10 years now. We've got it to a place where it's it's established so I'm now really excited that I'm able to get involved in more consultancy, more value add, hopefully, and making a difference, because that's really what I'm passionate about. So I end up being the OD consultant, I guess, at Actus, and that's one of the things I feel quite comfortable with. And through that experience, I've been really fortunate to work closely with a large variety of businesses. So I, I've worked closely with organisations in the NHS, education, not-for-profit, financial services, manufacturers, shipping you name it, we've worked with them. And that breadth of experience is really what's convinced me that it was time to have this sort of podcast. An HR uprising is our title, but really it's about collaboration and it's about learning across sectors. We are all feeling the same pains, believe me. It just may vary based on culture or size of the organisation. So this subject this week, we just had to start somewhere, uh, was with about the pros and cons of 360 feedback. And I think what triggered me to talk about this first was the fact that we're getting more and more people coming through asking for 360 feedback. It has been something that 
Some organisations do use it within appraisal and it's really embedded. Others want to use it. My fear is that it's seen as a bit of a panacea and I think it should come with a health warning. So that's what I wanted to cover really, so we can have a think about how how we can use it really effectively if that's something you're considering introducing in your organisation. You might already be using it and using it really well, or hopefully there's some tips that we can share with you. So during this episode, I'm going to explain what 360 feedback is, when it works well, and also the common pitfalls that you might want to avoid. If you're actually delivering 360, I'll share some tips about doing it effectively. And we'll talk about maybe the sort of culture where you're going to get the best out of 360 if you're considering bringing it in. So definition bit first, what is 360 feedback anyway? Well, it kind of says it in, in the name. It's what it says on the tin, the run seal moment. It's a process of obtaining feedback from a variety of sources. So usually you'd get from your manager upward, downwards from your team and sideways from your peers, or you might have customers. But basically, that's what you're saying is you're getting the term 360 because you're getting feedback from all around you. Then these feedback sources, they should be asked a series of questions, which would typically be behavioural. And that's quite important because if they are behavioural questions, i.e. things that you say or do, then they can comment on their experience. I think that leads to one of the challenges, actually, is the sort of questions that people find difficult is if the questions are things that people haven't had chance to experience, so they don't feel able to comment. So each feedback source will then answer on a scale, commonly a one to five or Probably one to six is preferable if you're choosing those because you're having people get off the fence. I'm sure you've all heard about the the centre effect. If you have five points, people are more likely to go for three. Well, they say that. I'm not sure that's always the case with 360. And I've got some separate tips on that later about if you are somebody who's completing some 360. So you might get a 360 question that says, how effective is Jane at delivering results against deadlines? All those different sources are then going to respond with a a score ranking the extent to which they agree or disagree with it. So one might be not at all, five always or consistently. And then these scores should be uh, sorted basically into representative groups. I'm using my arms here, but you've got to imagine a, a graph now in front of you. So you'd get a bar chart and you basically on that bar chart, you're going to see at the top the individual's response, then the manager's response. So that would be individually visible which is important to note if you're a manager of others. Sometimes that scares people or shocks them. And then typically the others would be would be grouped. So their responses would be anonymised to, let's say, three responses against peers and three responses against customers. So that's the way you might see it. The ones we use, we try to actually apply categories to the responses. So you might have something which would be leadership behaviours or um, team behaviours. And there'd be different behaviours that would be uh, questions that were aligned against those. That then means you can have a nice spider graph, which helps people see their relative skills. So you might have leadership on one area of it. I said team skills, didn't I? Analytical skills, strategic thinking. So you'd get that vision of where your relative strengths and gaps are. Now, remember, one key thing about 360 is it is just perception. But it's a really great tool if it's managed well. And I say, actually, it's a really great tool for development. So I'm starting to hint at my preference here. I think it's a good development tool. I have reservations about using it for appraisal, although I do recognise a lot of businesses do do that at the moment. Now, I'm going to step in here now with an example that I came across literally a couple of weeks ago. And in this situation, the manager had scored their person 
twos and threes out of six, but all of the peers and the team members had rated fives and sixes. So on that spider graph or on a bar chart, that showed a massive difference of opinion. And actually, it could be hugely damaging. Now, it wasn't my actual, I didn't run the coaching session, it was someone else who was running it. But that did say a lot to me about the managers in there. Did that manager realise, first of all, that their feedback would be individually identifiable? Secondly, was that going to come as a shock to the individual? Because actually, if you do not think that someone is performing in a certain area, you do not want to just tell them through a, a 360 bar chart. So I felt it raised a number of questions that had I been the internal L&D professional within that organisation, I would have wanted to talk to the manager almost before I actually spoke to the individual. So I feel that if you are going to do 360 feedback, it needs to be introduced very carefully. You need to ensure that all of the respondents recognise that they're going to be visible, uh, that what they put down on paper actually can come across more stringently, uh, more hard hitting than something that you might say in person. And really, the first place for feedback should always be face to face. So what I don't actually know whether or not that was uh, developmental and whether the individual did already know um, that. But one other point I'd make is, although I said people have a tendency to mark centrally, go for threes out of fives, my experience is that that isn't the case with feedback, with 360 feedback. My experience is that people want to avoid conflict and they tend to mark in the higher points. And that's why possibly having a six point scale is better, because then people will give feedback slightly more gently. So they may their range might be four, fives and sixes. Sorry, I'm not sure if this is being clear here, but basically they might say where they think you are really good at something. It says, you know, exceeds or exceptional demonstrates exceptionally well where they think you've got a bit of a gap. They might say demonstrates sometimes. So rather than say doesn't demonstrate at all. So it's just less hard hitting and it comes over in a more developmental way. And then if you're the coach, and this is my second point, is first of all, if you're introducing it into an organisation, you need to brief people so they understand what they're doing, the purpose of the feedback, the way in which feedback can be written to be constructive. And then secondly, I believe strongly that 360 feedback should be followed up with some sort of neutral coach. So Therefore, that's a big investment. So if someone needs to spend an hour or so chatting to the individual about their report so that they understand and get value out of it. Now, that's so important, understanding and getting value out of it using a, a, using a coach, because otherwise we are all human beings and our tendency is to go straight for the negatives. You know, they will literally drive straight in and they might have a, a, an overall report which is glowing and they'll drill into that one small point and say, oh, I knew they didn't like me, or I knew that this was bad. So that's why you need somebody who's going to set the scene, and I'll point out the key ways in which you can do that later, but someone who's going to ensure that that experience of having the 360 is thought through, it's reflective, and they walk away from it feeling uh, feeling positive, feeling they've learned something about themselves and knowing what to do next. What you don't want is for them to feel damaged, and if you let someone just read their own 360 and do it on their own, they might. On that point, um, again, if you're someone who's administering or managing a 360 programme in your organisation, my preference, and this is how we used to do it uh, in the organisation I worked with, and we used to roll out 360s. We actually, I would say it took us probably three years to get the culture of the organisation to a point where 
they actually um, would give quality feedback that where people would write comments. When we first started out, people would just fill out the form because they had to, and then they wouldn't write any any comments. So you have to give the organisation time to mature. But then I think I remember looking back after three years and thinking, wow, how far we've come. People start to trust it if it's managed well. Um, if it isn't managed well, then they won't and it will become negative. So I used that trust word there. How do you build trust? Well, you build trust by being consistent and delivering it in a consistently safe way. So we told people how to do it. We told them that they would be visible. Uh, we set expectations about completing it. Actually, we got the leaders within the organisation to complete these first and go through the feedback. So they then responded when asked for feedback from others. And they also realised the value of quality feedback. So they had trust. And by them responding to the people below them, that helped. We also built trust by saying that this was something which was uh, they would individuals. It was for people's development. We were very clear about the purpose of the 360. So we told people it was for their development. And that meant that the individual would get an hour with a coach, a neutral coach from learning and development, and they would walk away with some development points. We always recommended that they shared those development points and actually thanked the people who gave them feedback and said what they'd learned. But it wasn't compulsory. We'd also tell people that the feedback was theirs to keep, but we would recommend that they shared it with their manager, but we wouldn't make them. So that actually built trust. I suppose initially people were suspicious and thought there'd be lots of feedback, but people built it built trust. Now, there were a few notable exceptions. And again, this is where it links into how you manage that feedback session as a, a coach, where I remember one particular sales director who shall remain nameless, but if anyone knows me, will know exactly who I'm talking about, who stormed across the sales floor saying, who gave me this feedback? And seriously, people were cowering. Now, that actually scarred a load of people in that department for some months about their feedback and people would then only give positive comments. So it's really important that you manage it so that it's a, a constructive experience for people and people trust it and they trust you. Over time, we found, though, that 360 became a really useful tool for development in this organisation, and we used it. All of the senior managers would get a 360 feedback once every two years, so we had a rolling cycle where it was about self-development and reflection. We also would use it during leadership programmes, so it was a way in which you could get some data about whether or not people's behaviours had shifted as a result of spending money on them. So let's say they'd been on an 18-month leadership programme, had they changed their behaviours, it also gave people an area to focus on in terms of their development. So it was a really useful tool as a development tool, certainly, and that was my experience. But it was about setting the scenes to make it as safe as possible. And that's how you get constructive, um, a constructive experiences from it. One other point that I thought about last week, again, um, I was consulting in an organisation, is whether or not the coach should send the report to the individual to look at in advance of the coaching session. Now, in that organisation, they did do it and they would send it 24 hours before, not too long before. Uh, in With, with our organisation, we didn't do it. And the reason we didn't do it is because we would set the scene. And I have to say, I that is my preference, even though it does make it feel a little bit like people are getting nervous in the build up to the coaching session. It means that you can sit there and I'll 
talk later about the sort of things I would say as a coach at the start of a session to set the scene positively, you could actually, you could do that and you could control how that person was going to react by sending it 24 hours in advance. They had already looked at it. So they'd had that first emotional reaction. That said, as a coach, I would absolutely say you must look at that feedback and think, what is my first question going to be? Um, you know, one of the great ones is to say, what are you expecting? Because that can help a hell of a lot. Um, and I'll mention that later. So those are some of the key points that I think we should bear in mind. And I think uh, it's probably helpful. I'll just check my notes to summarise those because I know I do waffle on a bit. So if you're going to introduce 360, this is my preference and this is how I do it developmentally. This is how I think you can make it work well. First of all, make sure you set the scene to the business. People understand why it's coming and the rules. They trust that it's going to be anonymous or they understand who will see what and then do what you say you would. OK, keep that trust. You can't come back from that. Ideally, start from the top. Get the board and the senior management team to do it first. So they go through the experience because then they're much more likely to respond to others who will ask them for feedback. It's very difficult if people just don't respond. The cause of that is fear. OK, people are scared of feedback and that's a whole different topic that we can talk about. But start off by setting the scene and start from the top. Then I believe it is something where you should have a neutral coach. And to be honest, if you can't afford that investment, either in bringing someone in from outside or training up a coach internally, then I don't think you should do it. We should only really do it for a small number of people. Running the 360 reports is not the cost. The cost is the time of giving quality feedback. So it is quite, it's a bit like coaching. It is quite a high um, value input. So it's not really something for the whole organisation. You need to think about why you're doing it for people. So we've got neutral coach. I'd also say, I can't read my own writing here, make sure people understand it's about their development so they know where they're going to, to um, do with it and they end up with some development actions. And also make sure, I would say, don't send it in advance. I would say get the coach to look at it in advance and then manage the, the coaching session. So hopefully those are some key topics that you can take from that theme there. So now let's think about when it maybe doesn't work. Well, some of you might have seen the 2016 research by the CIPD, which was could do better. Uh, really interesting, actually. And they pointed out that people rate differently based on the perceived purpose of feedback. So they're more likely to be strict in principle if they think it's going to be developmental feedback and more positive if they think ratings are going to link to pay or job prospects. So that's interesting, isn't it? So it means that when people are giving a rating, they're not actually honest entirely. So it's and uh, that, well, no one wants to stop you from getting a pay rise. Let's put it that way, maybe. So we know that as a nation, our managers are not as skilled as they should be. And we really haven't made a great deal of progress in that. If you look at the research in many ways, we're still way behind lots of other countries. So therefore, my concern is if you say I'm going to rate you at the end of the year, uh, my manager might sit down with me and say, mm, you know, I'd love to give you a, an exceeds, but I can't possibly do that because the ratings say no. I just think it's going to breed weak managers who haven't got the balls to give proper verbal feedback to their staff and they will hide behind the ratings of others. As I said earlier, I think it took us three years to become mature enough to use 360 and that was purely for development. So if you're going to use 360 in order to determine ratings, and we know that the jury's out on ratings anyway, then is it really a good idea? So that's one point just to watch out for in terms of maybe a health warning of 360. 
So I said earlier that I'd give some tips about how you can set the scene to have a positive 360 feedback session with somebody if you're going to do the coaching. So first of all, my experience is it probably has been a six to eight week lag between actually the feedback giving and you getting to sit down with people when you've considered diaries and chasing people for reports. So I would generally sit down with the candidate and say, right, it was six to eight weeks ago. Tell me a bit about how things were going. What are you expecting? How are you feeling about getting this feedback? Why did you choose the people that you chose? And you'll find out, you know, whether they're really nervous or whether they chose people they thought get challenging feedback or, you know, just generally get a sense of that person. So try and put them at ease. Then what I'd often say is, you know, I remember having one where there was a few really big gaps in perception between the individual who felt that they were doing really well and others not agreeing with that. And I always think that's one of the most difficult um, positions to coach. But I think if you ask them what they're expecting, this person said, well, I chose really challenging people. I know actually they don't rate me in these areas and I really wanted to get their feedback. I thought, phew. (laughs) So actually it was fine. Whereas had I just gone straight in, I'd have been worrying about it. And, you know, I I don't know whether it would have been as, as effective. So it's all about really understanding where the person's coming from. And that actually goes back to the point I made earlier about if you give them the report in advance, they've already gone through that psychologically. You haven't been able to uh, go through that journey with them. So you don't exactly know where they are. So they might arrive saying, oh, well, it's fine anyway. They might be quite defensive because the damage has been done. And I spoke to a client recently who was doing their own 360 and he sends them out 24 hours in advance. And it was interesting. He said, sometimes they find that people go sick. I thought, don't you think there's a coincidence between people going sick when they're having their 360 feedback and you having just sent the report? So to my mind is hold on to it and then manage that first piece so you can make sure it's positive. And I can honestly say I have delivered probably 100 plus 360 feedback coaching sessions and I've never had one where someone has walked out you know, in floods of tears. They might have had a few tears in the middle, but it's been a constructive experience and you're able to take them on that journey. And these are the tips that I'd say if you want to take them on that journey. The first one is set the scene before you show them the report and say that this this is perception. Perception is reality in someone else's mind, but it's not necessarily reality, full stop. All right. It's it's something that people perceive about you and you don't need to um, accept that. But it might be useful because actually if many people perceive it and it's not your intent, then that's useful feedback. So, for example, if you're someone who blasts your way into meeting rooms all positively, firing on all cylinders, and you think that's all about energy and positivity, and actually you get the feedback, you scare the living daylights out of some of the people you work with, well, maybe that's useful because that wasn't your intent. So that's a useful shift in perception because we don't all see the world the same way. And that's the point of 360, understanding how different people perceive different things or your behaviours. So you can choose then the individual can choose if they want to carry on delivering those behaviours, you know, barging into meeting rooms or whether perhaps they're going to soften their approach. The second thing is let them know or just remind them that there has been a lag and it's a snapshot in time. So you could have had a blazing row with somebody six or eight weeks ago and then they completed your 360 feedback. That is going to make a difference to how they complete it. So it's a snapshot in time. It's not necessarily everything. You know, equally, you might have done something brilliantly. And so you get a halo effect. The third point to remember is that people all rate differently. 
So we all remember the tough or lenient teachers at school and, you know, workplace colleagues are no different. So one person's five might be another person's four or even three. And that's really important with managers or something like that, where the individual score stands out. You know, you might just have somebody who is tough to please. So, you know, you get a four. It's, and when I'm working with them, sorry, waffling a bit there, but where when I'm working with people with that sort of thing, it's, I always say it's the pattern of responses more important to look at. So actually the relative positive or negatives. So you find out everyone's got a baseline when they're giving feedback on 360. And so you can see where they go up or down gives you the relative differences. Feedback is a gift is my first point. And that's, again, let people know that this is a gift, whether you like it or agree with it, you don't have to. So people have still given the time and effort to complete your form. And bear in mind that sometimes that's one of the hardest things if you're rolling out 360, actually getting people to respond. As I said earlier, sometimes they're scared of it or too busy. Uh, You know, it's an effort. So if you get to the point where you're getting really high response rates or people, all of your respondents have responded, that's a real compliment that they are taking the time to give you feedback. So I do say it would be great if you can go back. You don't have to share your report, but thank the people who went to the effort of completing it. And it's really good. This is something that we got people into the habit of. They would just send an email out saying, thank you so much for um, contributing to my 360 feedback. I thought you might be interested that these are a couple of the points that came out and I'm going to be developing in these areas. And I'd encourage them to look at strengths as well as areas to develop. And that links into my fifth point, which is make sure there are some specific takeaways. There's no point in doing a 360 report, spending an hour coaching it and then going, oh, that was interesting. So make sure they commit to some actions that they want to uh, take forwards with. Uh, And I think that's quite key. So I usually say finish with three development points and they go into their development plan. So in conclusion, 360, I think, is a really powerful tool, but it can be a little bit risky if you don't put it in badly or if you do put it in badly, sorry, if you implement it badly, and the scars of those experiences um, are long-lived. So just be careful with it, really. Uh, I think it's something that requires commitment as an organisation. You need to invest time in coaching, and it's not maybe for the entire organisation. Maybe introduce it in pockets uh, and, uh, and develop it over time. Thank you so much for listening to the HR Uprising podcast. I really hope it's been informative and interesting to you. We're going to be covering loads of really exciting and relevant topics going forwards. We've got talent management, we've got OD, onboarding, you name it. We'll be covering things as well as our conversations series. Please do join with us on various social media aspects. You can look me up on LinkedIn, uh, Lucinda Carney, or on Twitter or on Instagram and just look for HR Uprising. We'd love to hear from you. And remember... When we look up together, we rise up together. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you for listening to the HR Uprising podcast. You can access more information, including resources or links mentioned in the show at our website, www.hruprising.com. Also, you might want to join our LinkedIn community or tweet to us at HR Uprising. We'd love to hear from you.